take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. guys, this is Rachel Gilmore from Path One, I'm bringing you a very special episode of our podcast. I happened to be at a conference uh, with a lot of people from really amazing places, but realized that I was able to grab this group of at least a half dozen female church planters. Combined, we have close to half a century of experience, and we represent all five jurisdictions of the United, United Methodist Church. And that just totally blew my mind. So um, I gathered who I could so that we could sit down together and just share our experiences. And we're going to do this anonymously um, because it's still kind of hard, even with all of our years of experience, to be in this place. Uh, But also because maybe by not adding our names to it, you can see your story and our stories as well, um, instead of tying them to a certain name and location. So I'm just honored that you guys would join me here. This is a beautiful moment, I think, a first for Methodism. So um, thank you for being here. Uh, I would love to have anyone who's open to sharing about your call into ministry to share that call with us. Um, I was called to ordained ministry in my first semester of college. And I was at an intentionally Christian college, and that um, first semester of college was like utopia. Um, And then in chapel, one um, Thursday morning, um, I heard the words ordained ministry um, over and over in my head. And um, I realized that I had to say those words out loud to somebody Um, in order for that experience to be anything other than just in my head. Um, And so two of my best friends at the time, um, my roommate and um, my dear friend, were walking out ahead of me, um, and I told them that um, God just called me to ordain ministry. I have no idea how I said that. Um, But my anxiety at the time was telling my male friends Um, Because in that culture where I was living, which is not the culture that I grew up in, but um, as a United Methodist, but the people who were my dearest friends at the time um, didn't believe that women could be called to ordained ministry. So um, I think I probably didn't tell them that month. I went home and had Christmas and um, but eventually um, did. And some of them, you know, still today don't think that um, women should be pastors Um, and I didn't change (laughs) their opinion Um, but I don't feel any less called because they don't believe that I was. So I grew up in the church and started working in the United Methodist Church as a second career at the ripe old age of 21. I taught for the first few years uh, professionally and then um, switched over to youth ministry. And in the middle of that, as I was taking a Disciple One class, actually uh, had, a, had a conversation with my pastor where I ended up voicing a call to ministry um, and a call to be an elder within the church. And so I went to seminary uh, with two very young children and um, graduated, continued serving that same church and, and more from a youth ministry role into an associate pastor role. Probably one of the most challenging things about 
voicing a call to ministry in a church that was my home church at the time uh, was that I, people were very comfortable telling me anything, right? Because I'd been there forever. And so um, I had a person in the congregation who came up and said, I need to tell you something, but I don't want to hurt your feelings. And I said, okay. And they said, well, when we get ready to serve communion, there are some members of our church that get up and go to the bathroom conveniently until all the pastors are at their stations so that when they come back, they make sure they don't come through your station at communion. Um, and they started to tell me who this was. And I said, I don't want to know, like, don't, don't tell me who it is. Like God will open up the time and space for, for that conversation when that conversation is right. But in the meantime, I don't want to know. And it was probably eight months later or so when a member of the church uh, called the office and made an appointment. And I, I had known this person very well. And I said, I'm happy to talk with you. Come on in. Um, and so they came in and they sat down and and they started the conversation by saying, I've talked to everybody, every male pastor on staff, and they all tell me that they can't help me with this, that you're going to have to help me through this. And they explained that they had been getting up and going to the bathroom at the beginning of communion every time. So they didn't have to receive communion from me. Um, that they had grown up in a in a different tradition that, that didn't recognize women as pastors. And the question that they posed was, how do you think that you're even supposed to be doing this? And I was so young, I'm like, I don't, I don't even know how to defend this to you. So the only thing I said was, all I know to do is tell you my story of how I got to where I am and what God has done in my life. And um and just entrust that to you. And as I left that church years later, that same person came up and she was talking to folks that were then in her small group. And she said, um, uh, and I wasn't going to identify it was a woman, but it was. Um, <laughs> she said, uh, I had this conversation and, and, and this pastor changed my view of what it means to be a woman within the church. Uh, unlike you, I had not grown up in the church. I had been in the church for less than three years, and one day we were having dinner at church, and my husband looked at me and said, so when are you going into ministry? I looked at him, and I was like, that is stupid. What are you thinking? Like People like me that weren't raised in the church, that don't get this language, that I'm still figuring out what's going on, everything is a mystery and weird. And I was a bad kid. Like, you know, those people aren't pastors. Um, and I spent the next few months um, ignoring the fact that, wow, that sounded really, really right. And it was something that I really needed to do. Um, and at some point in there, I had also told our youth pastor who uh, I, I knew at the church, he kind of was helping me find my way around this new way of being that I had stumbled into. Um, and he looked at me and just said, you know, we need to talk about this call into ministry. And then three things happened um, that were just God showing up. And you know, like that person didn't say that right after that other thing happening unless it was God putting these all in order. And there was, I think, three things that happened in a course of three weeks. And the final one was my husband, again, six months after the first time he said it, going, so when are you going to do this ministry thing? Um, and part of my struggle was I'm, I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. 
I was volunteer coordinator and I had a kid in competitive soccer. I mean, we were driving to different states. How was I going to drop all of that and both struggle through being a mom of two fairly young kids, one of them a teenager coming into his teenage years um, and completely changed the path of my life. Um, but God was not going to let me use, oh, I'm a mom as an excuse and kept pushing at me. And I picked up the phone because I had not finished my undergrad. I dropped out when I had my kids and I picked up the phone and said, hey, you know, called my school and said, I need to finish my degree. And they said, congratulations, school starts next week and we can get you in. Um, and I finished my undergrad, my bachelor's degree two weeks before I started seminary. So there was a God's timing through all of that. Um, I, and it felt like a treadmill. Like I picked up the phone and everything kept coming at me um, until I was ordained. So it felt like I just didn't have a chance to stop and really ask myself it was, if, I, if it was what I wanted to do. Um, until I was ordained, which was really an interesting experience for me, too. I grew up in a mainline denomination that was not United Methodist, and um, but, but ordained women. And um, so when I was in middle school, we had our first female clergy person. And um, it was a smallish town, but a large church, and she, she came in as an associate and was there for maybe three or four years and in the process ended up um, having an affair. And my family took this, like took her side in it. And, but what I heard from my family the whole time was, well, she was, it was kind of a witch hunt and they were just looking for her to mess up. And they were looking for like people watched her and people stood outside her house and so the message, so they were like on her side and protective of her, but the message I received was, well, if you're a woman and going to go into ministry, you will be watched and it's terrible and awful and like, you don't really want that. Um, I had also dabbled in some more evangelical traditions that did not ordain women. And so at that point I was like, well, maybe I'm called to be a pastor's wife. That sounds great. I'm going to be a pastor's wife. Find me a nice pastor and I'll be good. Um, so that was kind of my plan, but then I realized I wasn't even, I wasn't evangelical in that way. I didn't, <laughs> I am evangelical, but didn't want to be a part of the evangelical church. Um, and started exploring, like started looking at seminary and it'd come up every few years. When I graduated, um, high school, I looked at seminary and the denomination I grew up in and then after I graduated college, I again looked at um, seminary and, and thought about it. Um, and it wasn't until I'd wandered into a United Methodist church um, that I met a bunch of people who were in seminary because there was a seminary in the town where I'd been living and um, said, OK, well, maybe I'll go to seminary and figure this thing out. And while I was in seminary, I said, well, I'm going to get ordained as a deacon because that's easier and that's still like in the process and I don't have to enter the whole thing. And so, um, entered the process as a deacon, but realized that wasn't where I was called and I was called to more, but had to kind of keep 
like I kept making excuses because there even was there was like I'll be deacon or I'll be lay I'll do ministry but I'm not going to do this whole like elder ordination like that's too important I don't want the title pastor I'm comfortable with deacon as long as I don't have the title pastor um and I realized that like I am called to the sacraments I am called to pastor I'm called to this role um and even if it is hard like it's okay to be a woman and a pastor (laughs) those things do go together and yes you may have to fight but like there's also a lot of joy and there's so much that we bring and things that we can do as well While I grew up in the church, my dad did not and my grandparents did not. So back in the day when quote unquote everyone went to church, my grandparents did not. Uh, So I hear a very different story of the glorious 50s in the church. So my dad coming to faith uh, was when he was 33 years old and I was three years old and we were baptized on the same day. So I was, while I was raised in the church, I have a special heart for an understanding of those who were not. And um, when, and so then they became friends with people, like they joined the church and they did what we experienced in church planting. They didn't know how to be apathetic because why to go to church if you're going to be apathetic. So they went on mission trips and joined Bible studies and things like that and became friends with people in the church. And then I had a, my piano teacher was from the church. And when I was only in um, second or third grade, she answer to call to ministry. So I had that model um, for when I was very young. Of a, And my parents celebrated that. I think I knew in one of those, you know, every year at church camp, I did the whole, like, go to church camp every year. And every year um, when you either commit your life to Christ or find a boyfriend on the Friday night Christ circle. And I... Um, <laughs> And so I think several of those, I committed my life to be going into ministry. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to as a woman. And um, then um, I went into, so I went into college to get an administration degree. Because what I've heard more than anything wasn't about women. It was all pastors are bad at administration. So I thought I'll get a degree um, from a school of business and then go to seminary. At some point, I freaked out and decided I absolutely cannot do that. But it wasn't about my gender. It was about all the other stuff of ministry. Uh, It's just hard. And of course, um, not of course, but for me, before I graduated, I um, decided to go to seminary. So I was first career. I am sure I had experiences where people avoided my communion line. But it used to be that my top um, strength was positivity. So I just like ignored. I probably, I just, I'm sure it happened. I just didn't know it until I had an appointment in campus ministry. And on most college, I was on a state university campus and uh, almost all of the other campus ministers are bro pastors uh, who absolutely believe that women don't belong in ministry. And it was in trying to be a part of the Campus Ministry Association and not being welcomed at that table uh, that I learned this. And so then I, what has my passion has, was helping and has been helping 18-year-old women 
explore and find their call to ministry. So for me, whereas I didn't feel blocked, I learned the block that other young women feel. And I now I have women all over the country who are serving in ordained ministry. Um, so for me, um, both of my parents are ordained. Um, my mother, it never occurred to me women couldn't be in ministry. When both your parents were pastors, you spent a lot of time in church. Um, my mom has been ordained in the American Baptist Church for almost 50 years. So, and my dad was in the Navy, so he was gone all the time. So I saw my mom leading worship. I saw my mom pastoring churches. I saw her in ministry and, and not him. Um, and I knew like there was this legacy in the family of for over a hundred years, someone's been a Methodist pastor. So they looked at their four children very closely, like which of you will take up the call? And I was like, not me. This is crazy. It's horrible. Um, but we moved so much that I found for me, I think I was in middle school at a youth group lock-in and the kids were all making out or whatever, doing their stuff. And I didn't want to be with the middle school kids making purple. I wanted to be in the sanctuary laying behind the altar because that was the only place I could find peace. And I was like, shoot, like me, I thought I avoided the curse, but I didn't, like I can't escape this. But I still told no one about it, right? And then um, I went to high school in Japan and had kind of this horrible experience where literally I didn't know if I would survive. I had left home for the first time to go to college and there was a stalker, it was, police had to get involved. It was really bad and I was like, Lord, my parents are in Japan. I'm in Connecticut. Like, I might die far from home. Um, if you are there for me when no one else can be, I'll be faithful um, and I'll follow you. So I survived and made it back to Japan and um, went on a spiritual retreat. And it's the only time, like, in my whole life that I didn't, like, audibly hear God. I don't hear voices, right? But I, I felt God saying to my heart, Rachel, I want you to be a preacher. And I said, a teacher? Yes. And I got an education degree um, at a conservative Christian college, right? I was like, I can. I still wrestled with my call because I just knew it would be so hard and would, uh, yeah. So it was at that college that I met this really incredible guy um, who was like, so I have to warn you, I think I'm called to ministry. Are you okay with that? And I said, only if you're okay with me being called to ministry. And he's like, oh, when are we going to tell our parents, right? So, um, so, and it's at a college where I was the only um, girl, woman in my graduating class with a major or minor in Bible theology who planned on using it to lead a church instead of be a good pastor's wife. And I was like, oh, like, can we, can we do this? Like, I, it was the first time that I realized maybe women couldn't be in ministry. I knew I didn't want to be in ministry because it was hard. I didn't think I couldn't do it because I was a woman. And then, um, going to seminary, right, and getting the call to plant a church. I remember at church plant boot camp showing up with my six-month-old son and being stopped at the door by one of these leaders and training planters. And, and he said, you know, I'm glad you're here, and I want you to learn as much as possible. Women don't really plant, and mothers never plant. So, like, this thing, this is not going to work. So just take good notes, and it could, it could be helpful someday. And... um. And it, like, shattered me. I'm like, could you tell that to my DS? Like, what am I supposed to do right now? Because, like, this is my appointment, and there are people that need Jesus. Um, so it started, like, that path for me of realizing, and I'm so glad all of you are here and are sharing your stories. Um, there are more and more women in ministry, but it still, to me, seems like 
female planters are unicorns? Like we don't really exist. We can't really do this. Has that been your experience? Have you felt unique pressure or pushback as a female planter that you did or didn't as an established church pastor? So in my area, I was one of the first female church planters. And I think for me, where some of that pressure came from was after we were at a point where where things were successful. I think you hit a point in a church plant where it's like, oh, you're a real thing now, right? So after we hit that point where we were we were like a real thing as a church, um, there was a lot of pressure. Um, there were two things. I think there was a lot of pressure uh, to sort of craft a stereotype of what a female planter looks like in a suburban context, right? The other female planters uh, in my area were not in suburban context. So it was like, oh, well, she can do this here. Then she can do this here being other people along the way. Right. And so here's the mold of what a female church planter can do. And it doesn't look like the hip white dudes. Right. It looks like this other thing. And so there was a little bit of pressure there for sure. Um, the other thing that I found really unique in my context was the amount of times when I was not in a room and somebody would say something like, well, you know, that thing was only successful because it was like everything worked right around it. And you just want to kind of say, well, yes, but that doesn't that doesn't diminish what it means to be pastor and planter in a given scenario either. Um, so, you know, there was a little bit of pressure and there was a little bit of not really bias, but just outright sexism at what it means to have something that's successful when you're a female in ministry. Rachel, that is such a good question. I hadn't thought of about that in the way you worded it exactly. But when I compare it to being in the big steeple church um, and we had built a new building and we were growing like crazy. We were the cool kids on the block for a little bit, half a second, you know, and um, there were a few summers where everyone wanted to get married at our church. And I now reflecting back, anyone who was part of the congregation wanted the male senior pastor to marry them. So as the associate female, I got anyone who, they just wanted a pretty building. Well, I found out I was really good at connecting with those people that just wanted the pretty building. And then I, at some point we added it up and I had like an 83% success rate at in completely um, people who were not part of our faith community, but wanted to get married there. And I married them and then they joined the church. So uh, I got some self-confidence from that, that when I um, was invited to plant a church, I tapped into that experience and thought the churchy McChurchikens might not like me at all as a woman pastor, but I've learned that those people who have been excluded from and didn't feel comfortable in the church really connected with me. So I kind of leaned into that and just had fun with it because I thought, the churchy people who don't respect me as a pastor, fine. There's big steeples all around me they can go to. And I just thought it was fun to get to find, you know, and then I, then it was part of my job to hang out in bars and places like that to connect with people that other churches didn't um, necessarily get excited about connecting with. Okay, so maybe that kind of leads me to another question, because I know that before we started recording the podcast, you shared that you don't think you're like, relationally hardwired, but that sounds to me like you could actually be pretty good 
at developing relationships with people? Call me crazy. I don't know. 83% is pretty solid. Yeah, and, and research. We're going we're gonna go to discuss that post-podcast together, ladies, over a glass of something. But, um, but what I would love for you and all of us to take our turn sharing is what is it about you, what gifts or skills do you bring to your church plant? I do feel like I have an emotional intelligence and can connect relationally with people. I um, wonder if in times of stress, if I lean into relationship or if, if that, that was the pre-podcast conversation. So I, in times of stress, I'm not sure that I do what, I, I don't even like the phrase typical lady might do, but I, I do believe that I'm real. I'm decent at relationships. Um, so I planted a church with my husband um, and so saw the dynamics just in his role versus my role in that um, church plant and also had a very young child and then had another child in that process. And so um, in a lot of ways, like took some of the like home responsibilities um, in a more traditional way in that. Um, but what, what I really liked was that he took the like administrative and financial anxiety of the whole thing. And so I was like, I don't got to carry that. <laughs> like, like he's carrying it. And I, I know, I know it needs to be carried, but I also know that for the sake of the system, like it's not helpful for both of us to carry that. And so, like, in my role, um, sort of said, like, my, my job is to be more emotional, like, less anxiety, more emotionally connected, um, believing more in the community in, at the moment than having anxiety about the future of it. Um, but now um, I carry <laughs> all of that um, as a solo um, lead pastor, and also know that I'm also capable of that. Um, so it's it's interesting to sort of see how, um, and I think I'm probably more adept at this as a woman because people don't um, assume that I have skills <laughs> that I have. Um, and so sometimes I can like, like not take responsibility for things that um, that I don't really need to take responsibility for and somebody else can carry. And then other times I can be like, actually, <laughs> I know more than you do about that. Um, so whereas I think solo male church planters particularly um, are just expected to do, to carry it all. And I think sometimes, um, especially moms, know that you, you can't. You can't carry it all, um, and so, and so you you figure out how not to, and how to share share leadership and responsibility. So um, one of the things I've realized is that I almost feel like being a woman is a disguise. When I'm out in the community, I meet people, and I live in a very post-Christian city, so like, I don't know very many people who go to church. Like, the only people I know who go to church are people who, like, I meet at, at churches. But, like, I don't meet people on the street and find out they go to church because no one seems to. 
And so I'll meet people and we start talking and we begin to build relationship. And then at some point it'll come out and I'll be like, oh, I'm a pastor. And even with these people who are a lot of like people who don't have connections to the church, they assume that all pastors are men. The number of comments that I get that are like, wait, you can be a woman pastor? And I'm like, wait, I thought we live in a very progressive city. Like, why are we questioning this still? Or the number of, I remember one conversation I had with someone who said, wait, wait, you're a pastor, but you're a woman. And you're drinking beer. And I was like, we do that. <laughs> yeah. I also, like, have tattoos and and young and piercings and, like, nothing about me says stereotypical pastor. And so it allows me to enter into places that um, and get people to kind of let down their barriers and have conversations before they find out who, like what I do and build relationship with people who would never talk to a pastor. So I think for me, one of the unique things I bring as a woman and a planter is the, the ability can, to connect people. And it does have to do with building relationships. But in my context, it also has to do with the way in which I show up in a room. So, uh, you know, there's lots of lots of male pastors in my community, and I'm the only female pastor. And typically, uh, when one of them walks into the room, they've got a presence and they work the room really well. And I don't necessarily feel the need to go into a room and work the room. I'm pretty comfortable walking into a space and just being me in that space. And building relationships in a way that absolutely supports, and I'm going to use the word nurture, but not in a stereotypical, like a female nurture kind of way, right? But in a, in like a, I build things kind of way, um, rather than sort of forcing a presence uh, that imposes a presence on other people. And so I do think that's something unique and different that I bring to planting specifically when I look at male counterparts from other traditions who are doing church planting work in the areas where I serve. I, I find also a lot that I'm out and in the middle of these conversations with people um, will talk, be talking with a bartender or somebody sitting next to me at the bar and, you know, five minutes into the conversation, it'll come up what I am. And there's like this, no, I cannot, like, no way, that's not possible, um, really feels like... Um, like we're we're unicorns feels like that, um, and I've had I the the reactions of that sometimes are actually kind of funny. My husband thinks it's a joke to just draw people into these conversations where they you know start cussing or say something that they would never say, and then his favorite thing is like, "Have you like this is my wife? She's a pastor," um, and and freak them out. Um, I think the gifts I bring are um, are definitely there's relational pieces to that and in the, the willingness and ability to listen and to be present with people without judgment for, for where they are um, has been I think one of the gifts that I bring is that ability to be in that that space. I'd have to kind of echo that, like, in my experience planting, my context was not, like, post-Christian, really was, like, more 
really conservative Southern kind of environment. So I was like, seriously, Jesus, not only do I have to plant with a six-month-old and a husband in ministry at another church and not with me, but it's in an area where people don't even generally think that I should be leading a church at all. But what I found is that God used that, and the first folks that started coming were um, people who had been burned and hurt by the church and never thought they'd go back. And they said, you being a mom makes it feel maternal. It's safe. It's different. It's not the same type of church. And so, or there were couples, like I have a phenomenal worship leader, and he came because his wife is the breadwinner, and he's a stay-at-home dad. And he said, all the other churches looked at me like I was less than because of what the choices we were making for our family. And so having you as a female pastor has meant that our family isn't judged or labeled in any way. Um, and then it's a like heavy military community. And I'll never forget one of the first baptisms we did after we launched worship um, was for a mom and her two kids. Her husband was like a SEAL or in special ops, was doing some dangerous stuff, so wasn't able to be there. But she was able to to talk to him and to say, hey, I want to get baptized with the kids. Are you okay with that? And he said, actually, that means the world to me. Like, church may not be my thing, but now I know if I don't cope, come home. Um, Rachel and that church will take care of you and will be your family if I can't be. So it just allowed me to kind of connect and help the families there as well. Uh, and the Navy guys became some of the biggest fans of the church because it also kind of felt different from what they experienced basis as well. But um, I think we all have unique stories and gifts and stages in our lives. Um, and so just sharing those stories and honoring that can help other people. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.